You're listening to the Be Fox and Be Frank show. It is the holiday season. I am feeling fairly nice today, so I will be saying some nice things about teams that I normally could not care less about. Um, It was almost, almost a great week for the Big Ten with some very, very, very loud uh, disappointments that we'll get to in the, uh, the losers portion of this, but... Um, as I said, I'm going to be nice to some teams. So I'm going to start with Kentucky. I do not care for the Wildcats, but with a major asterisk since the loss to UNC Wilmington, which was the thing that happened, they have looked like a pretty damn good team, culminating with a win over North Carolina at the CBS Sports Classic on Saturday. Um Aaron Bradshaw is pretty important. Um, There was uh, a lot of talk in the preseason. You know, they've got these seven-footers. Will any of them be able to play anytime soon? Bradshaw has come on. um, You know, once he has been fully into the swing of things, he has been very impactful. Uh, Double-double, 17-11 and against Penn. And then on Saturday, different sort of role, uh, tasked with uh, being part of the defense, limiting Armando Baycott to nine points and six rebounds. So did his job there as, you know, the the bevy of guards and wings handled most of the scoring for Kentucky. But I have to say they are looking very strong right before we get in the conference play. I'm a Rob Dillingham fan. I think yeah. plain and simple. I love to watch this kid play uh, volume scorer for sure. But when he's on, there are very few that are better than he is uh, at all three levels, whether it's finishing at the rim or, or creating space or hitting the open three. Uh, he has, he did not shoot the three well against North Carolina. He was just six of 16, but he led Kentucky in scoring with 17 points. And that's the kind of pop that he provides off the, off the bench at this point. Like, I he he kind of feels like that prototypical Cal guard that's going to play like 25 to 30 minutes a night, but he's going to start on the bench and immediately sub in for whoever makes the first inevitable mistake as uh, as one of those guards and then just never come back off the floor. Uh, but for the year, he's shooting 40, 47% from three, playing okay defense, but not turning the ball over, which is super important for him, especially kind of cycling in and out of that lead guard role. But Kentucky, Kentucky has too many guards almost, and it is. Uh, it'll be fun to watch what Cal Perry decides to do with everyone. But I, I mean, it starts and ends with Rob Dillingham, and like you mentioned, uh, the forwards. As, the sooner they get healthy, the sooner uh, this team can obviously one full strength. But we can see what they can actually do together, because uh, Trey Mitchell trying to do it all clearly was not going to work, no matter how many rooms he's put for and years in college he has spent. Yeah, Kentucky is bringing Dillingham and Reed Shepard off the bench, which is just patently unfair. Um, I, I mean, Dillingham has, has been more productive as the season has gone along. I think Reed Shepard has been one of the biggest breakout stars of the season um, where, you know, highly rated high school prospect, but put him in a, a situation where there are a lot of those on Kentucky. Didn't really know what kind of production you'd see from the start. And he is a guy who is really elevated his NBA stock through the start of the season. The one concern I have is is something that Cal has made the mistake of alluding to already and a lot of Kentucky fans worried about, like, 
you can't play two bigs at the same time, but he is going to want to like true bigs. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like, this is a fun pace and space team. Um, and when they've been at their best, that's what they've been doing. And, and he seems like he just really wants to play two bigs at the same time and just take away a lot of that spacing. So he just really has to fight the urge and, uh, not do that, which will be difficult for him. Um, but in their present state, I, I think Kentucky is is very dangerous and is more than capable of of winning the SEC if uh, if Kelly can help himself. If if he can help himself, big yeah. if there. Who do you have as a winner from last week? I am going to give Memphis a yeah. shout out. Uh, really strong couple wins following uh, losses to Villanova and Ole Miss and get a, a win over Texas A&M and a win over previously unbeaten uh, Clemson in a really fun back and forward game. One credit to Clemson for going on the road to play this. Obviously, at the time this game was scheduled, Clemson was not what they are at this point in the season. This this really kind of seemed almost like a, a throwaway game in a sense. Um Memphis just looking for a power six opponent and ends up getting a top 15 Clemson team. But David Jones, you may forget the name to play a legend. He can score the ball. Uh, and he, he did so in this game, 22 points, six rebounds. Javon Quinterly still, still in college, 17 and six. This is a, a very good Memphis team. They don't have a ton of depth. They have some, specifically at the guard position, they are an interesting makeup in terms of the roster depending on how you classify some of these guys. David Jones could be technically like a forward. He's more of a wing, if anything. Uh, they basically play all... They, they start all of their forwards or guys that can play forward, and then it's it's just a, a bevy of guards off the bench. So they're, they're a ton of fun to watch. Typical Penny team at this point actually really good defense overall, but they, uh, they had a, a huge week. So deserve the shout out. Yeah. And Jones and Quinterly, two of the highest impact transfers that uh, yeah. you've got in the college game this year. I, I mean, Jones averaging over 20 a game, which is pretty unheard of uh, in college. Certainly at Memphis is just the ultimate test case of, are they a high major? Um, but they're, yeah. They're close. They're close enough. Uh, Caleb Mills, another impactful transfer. And uh, yeah, this this is a, a fun Memphis team that I, I think was really flying under the radar. Um, no mm-hmm. no bad losses per se. Um, and I I have some thoughts on Ole Miss in a sec, but this was really the, the statement win that they needed because, you know, they're not going to have a ton of opportunities outside of Florida Atlantic in, in conference to, to make one of those. So if you want to make some sort of at-large resume, you can't really go over on your, uh, your big opportunities and uh, certainly took advantage of that here. They, they had a, uh, I don't know, a, a decent showing in the, the battle for Atlantis, but at the end of the day, like Villanova was the big opportunity there um, came up short, but yeah. Yeah, this is a it's a great way to to get back on track. And Texas A&M win will age pretty well too. I think um, I, I know they're they're struggling a bit right now, but I, I think over the course of SEC play, they're going to string together some more wins and uh, and make that relevant come Selection Sunday. 
Yeah, that, there's no doubt about that. I think the biggest thing to call out in this sense is just Memphis actually taking advantage of their non-conference opportunities, which is something that, despite all the talent, despite all the hype that he and his teams have come in with in, in years past, this is probably one of the more teams he's had, and yet, like you said, they're they're quietly very good, and they've, they've taken advantage of uh, most of their opportunities. Like, the win over Missouri is not going to age that well. Michigan, again, not aging well. Arkansas, it, it is a top 20 win at the time, but it's not the same Arkansas team that we expected. But these AM and Clemson should should hold out for the rest of the season. Like if if that's what you're comparing to, uh, you've got a pretty damn good resume come what December 19th as we record. Yeah. I mean, it's it's more built around transfers than blue chip recruits, but welcome to yeah. college basketball in 2023. Um that you know might not be the biggest names per se, unless you are deep in the college basketball weeds as we are. But mm-hmm. um, those guys can come step in and, and make an impact right away, and that's that's exactly what we're seeing. Yeah, I did have an obligatory shout out to Ole Miss. Um, not necessarily yeah. a winner for anything they've done last week, but they are still undefeated. They might not be for much longer, so we might as well mention them now. Um, just a team that is has zero losses, but is absolutely loathed by the advanced metrics. And I, I mean, Memphis is the one good win they have to hang their hat on. Um, and yeah. we, we didn't necessarily know it at the time. So Memphis has been playing better basketball lately, but just similar thing. Chris Beard is trying to really build around transfers to have Alan Flanagan from Auburn, Jalen Murray from St. Peter's having their best seasons for Ole Miss. And having zero losses is good. Having five players who average nine or more points a game is good. But there is just zero depth after that. Um, yeah. and, and I know there was, there's kind of some hope that Sharp would, would give you some more. He's he's certainly blocking a ton of shots for, for how little he plays. But offensively, there is just really nothing else after the those first five guys. Um, so that's that's something where they'll really be testing SEC play. But again, credit to them for getting to this point undefeated. Um, not necessarily something I think anybody was really expecting, even looking at uh, the schedule they had. So credit there. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how long it lasts. Yeah, this this Ole Miss roster is really the land of misfit toys. <laughs> like so many guys on their third school, uh, and just. Chris Bear just cobbling together a roster however he can. But you're you're right. The guard play has been very good. Jalen Murray has been sensational this season. Alan Flanagan, we knew what he could do at the SEC level. Murray more of an unknown quantity. And he's he's shown up. I think the the surprise, or I guess it's not necessarily a surprise given how long he's been in college, is just that Breakfield can't like get to that next level and be that higher quality producer. Like, yes, he is averaging over nine points a game, but he's not, he's just not that guy yet. And for a guy that was highly touted out of high school, went to Duke originally, he's, he's just not there, but you've got the likes of, uh, you know, Brandon Murray has been out of the lineup most of the season. Musa Cisse, who is another former five-star or highly touted recruit has been through a couple schools like these, it is interesting to see one with injuries, but two when these guys are playing that they just can't seem to make 
uh, the impact that that they were uh, expected to at the college level. Yeah, I mean, Brakefield had 25 against NC State, 27 against Cal, and then every other game fell off the face of the earth. Yeah, sometimes he is present. Yeah, um, so you you take those high water marks, but you would you would like some more consistency from guys playing you know, usually over 30 minutes a game with, again, how how thin this roster is. So mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot of shots for these guys. Um, and, yeah, they're, they're going to be tested with the likes of Kentucky, the likes of Auburn, who is a very good basketball team even without Flanagan. Um, yeah. You know, Tennessee is going to give them a lot of trouble both sides of the ball. So, yeah, they're, uh, they, they got a, a good amount of – Power six and Memphis wins in the non-conference. But again, Memphis is really the only one that carries any weight. So yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see what, what ultimately becomes of this team. Um, there is a decent chance that they miss the NCAA tournament entirely, even being undefeated December 19th, but they could surprise. Who knows? A couple early SEC wins and that everything to bed yeah but a couple Chris of Beard could... losses and, yeah and we're talking more yeah if you lose to uh lose to Vanderbilt in South Carolina um, yeah then, then you could be in trouble but mm-hmm. we'll see um who, uh, who else did you have uh UConn UConn is a, a winner very nice performance against uh Gonzaga Klingon played his maybe his best game in college certainly his best game of this season 21 points eight rebounds and three assists two blocks uh it was really just a game that the guards didn't have to do at all and i think the more yukon can get out of their forwards the the better off this team is going to be the likes of tristan newton and i'm not going to say cam spencer but stefan castle when he's healthy and, and playing a full workload um are great are are very good and can handle that that type of usage and that type of uh, expectation offensively but the more they can get out of Klingon, out of caravan out of johnson and stewart and diara uh the the better off they're going to be overall like this this is a deep team they go nine deep and they're all very good players um and and it showed in this game against gonzaga they had what 17 points off the bench in a 13 point win that's the difference right there so UConn continuing to find ways to win, going into tough environments. Like they are some very good basketball. And guess who they get to play uh, today as you're listening, tomorrow as we're recording. That's right. The the wounded animal Seton Hall Pirates. So this should be this should be a lot of fun. They're ready. They're ready. Uh, yeah, I mean that was that was a comfortable win over Gonzaga, which yeah, technically a neutral site game. John Calipari will tell you it's part of a, a home and home playing the climate pledge arena instead of at the kennel but yeah just completely neutralized graham Ike, who has been established in college basketball as a very quality big man like mm-hmm. you said castle is still not at his uh, full strength not really in the role that we kind of anticipated coming into the season so he's only going to get better this team is only going to get better because of that um yeah yeah i I understand UConn is dangerous. I, I can confirm. Um, and yeah, they're, they're not, they, they do have the loss on their, their ledger. So they're not going to be quite at the same level as, as last year's team, keeping that streak alive of non-conference wins, but can't really hold that against them. Yeah. 
Um, that was I, I had no more winners. I I have I have a big loser, but I don't know if you had any more winners. <laughs> I have another winner, and then just a, a stat for of winners technically. Uh, okay. But my last winner has the most wins in the country, and has the current uh, the longest streak uh this season do you know who it is um so it feels like this is not an undefeated team you're telling me not an undefeated team i I don't know it is the longwood lancers wow 12 and 1 they lost uh their opening game to saint bonaventure by four and have rattled off 12 in a row since then i believe two of those uh, we're against uh, non-division one opponents, but it still counts. They are three of them. Excuse me. They have played oh a very God. weird schedule that includes Delaware State twice, but they're twelve and one, and the metrics don't hate them. They're one forty-three in Ken Palm. They're top eighty defense in the country, uh, and overall, like you, you just deserve credit if you have the most wins in the country. So that's what I'm giving a shout out for. But uh, the the stat overall is that there are 18 teams with double digit wins so far this season and 11 of them are non-power six schools so a lot of the mid-majors and below are either beaten up on d2 d3 opponents or uh coming to play and, and winning their games against their their peers yeah two games ago they they beat galadet by 31 that doesn't doesn't seem like a fair game i didn't <laughs> i didn't i didn't know galadet was was playing games against d1 schools but credit to them, I guess. Shout out Longwood. <laughs> yeah, recently in the tournament, and I yes. they, they have they have uh, greatly improved as a basketball program. I think it was uh, when Illinois was number one in, uh, I guess oh four oh five. I think that was right when Longwood was just uh, starting to play Division one basketball or like in their transition, and it was sure. one of those situations where it was uh, went up two nothing take a timeout, take a picture of the scoreboard. And yeah, now that now they've played in NCAA tournaments, most wins in the country, as I just learned a second ago. So that's, that's big. Yeah. Yeah. I believe they played Tennessee, not uh, in the NCAA tournament recently. Yeah. So that was, they got, they got fulked up. I remember they did. That game fondly. That was, uh, I think I was in Vegas watching that one. Yeah. So I do recall. Uh, all right, so big loser from last week. It is your Northwestern Wildcats. Um, yep. They successfully made Chicago State again and are are basically back to square one because on the one hand, you have probably the best win in the country over Purdue um, at home, and then you have now probably the worst loss in the country at home to Chicago State, so those pretty much cancel out. Um, and, yeah. and honestly, there might be some inclined on the selection committee to pull Northwestern more in the lower direction in terms of seed line, just on the basis of this one loss. Um, but that is just in the ultimate. Uh, this can't happen, camp. Um, I. I, I don't know what else to say. Just just absolutely nothing from the bench Northwestern and just a complete inability to stop Chicago State um, defensively. So that, uh, yeah, that's that's not something that's 
going to age well, but it's also one of those things where you knew the second it happened that uh, this is a disaster in Evanston. Yeah, and to make matters worse, Chicago State doesn't even have the the five star twins, the uh, the Bully twins, who are on the technically there, but yeah, have, the... have a pending court case with uh, the NCAA to get eligibility back or, or whatever it is. But this is the exact same floor that they beat you on just a few weeks ago, and now you are losing to Chicago State with uh, Wesley Cardet Jr. going for 30-plus in this game, uh, the the Samford transfer, as we all know so well. Uh, he goes for 30 in the game. Chicago State shot the ball pretty well, but Northwestern just was not good at all. Uh, teams matched up really well stat-wise. It, it was just a game that Northwestern never looked like they were going to win. And that is a huge problem when you're playing Chicago State, a team who hasn't won 10 games in over a decade, I think. I We went through the stats a couple couple shows ago, or last season, I think. But it was uh, it is it is ugly, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think the, the Billy Twins will ever get eligibility. Yeah. It would be fun as hell if they did. Um, and Chicago State was, like, somewhat on the periphery of being relevant, but... For a week, for a day, they are anyway. Um, speeding Northwestern, and they they have they have inched better and better um, under yeah. Gillian, but they're still like this is still a, a sub three hundred Ken Palm loss. You cannot have as a, a team with aspirations of, of making the NCAA tournament a ranked team, especially after you just beat uh, number one Purdue. So just all that coming together, just happening at the the worst time for Northwestern. I. I am still of the opinion that Northwestern is not particularly good. Um, yeah. I, I think Boo Boo is going to have quite a few games where he goes off for 30 or more, but you get past that. Uh, I mean, you're asking a lot of Brooks Barnheiser. Um, Ty Berry was a complete no-show in this game. Had a wide-open three for the win after, you know, everything that had gone wrong, Northwestern still had a very good chance to win the game. Um, they, they had come back, they had taken the lead, they had given it up again. Ty Berry gets an open three and just throws up the world's loudest brick of all time. And that was just kind of a, a summation of the day. Like, best laid plans, get you guys open looks, um, but it, it still doesn't work out. So I'm, yeah, I, I'm still not in love with the, the depth that Northwestern has to offer. That being said... They'll probably still finish in the top four in the Big Ten. <laughs> Can't it wait! Is, Can't wait to a, see them as a, a nine seed in the NCAA tournament. It is, it is a deeply, deeply stinky conference. Yeah. Uh, so the reason I remember talk, going through the history of Chicago State is that they won eleven games last year, and it was the first time since the thirteen fourteen season that they'd won double digits. That's why we talked about it. Yeah. It was, I mean, they there there was some momentum being being built to the end of last yeah. season for sure. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's, it's hard there. to it's hard to keep going as uh, college basketball is one independent team. Um, right. This is, this is not the sport to uh, to be independent. You no, it is not. Save that for football only. Yes. Um. I'm going to throw USC on there as a a loser as they continue their their slide here. They've lost four of their last five Gonzaga and Oklahoma. We have found out our solid teams. Auburn also a solid team. 
Uh, Long Beach State is a team. But the way that they are just not competitive in so many of these games against higher quality opponents is, is starting to become a problem. This roster is too talented. Boogie Ellis is very good. Isaiah Collier is very good. Uh, they have the players to compete and the players to play well, but they are just getting no production outside of their top two, really. And then Kobe Johnson from once in a while, their forwards really don't give them a ton. I I, I just, it, it is a very Andy Enfield team. And that is said in the truest sense of the, the word that the, on paper, they should be great. And then when you watch them play, you're you're wondering how this team has won as many games as they have. And what are they, six and they're five and five right now. And I'm sit, sat here wondering how on earth uh, did they beat Seton Hall? How on earth did they win as many games as they have? And the answer is that at some point, talent will overcome. But it's not the only thing. Good coaching will, will be talented teams. And that's what we're seeing nine times out of 10 with this, or well, five times out of 10 with this USC team. Yeah. Talent will win you some games on its own, but it can't get you to the tournament on its own. And and yeah. certainly, you know, the, the way they have played, they they've got their work cut out for them because the, the PAC 12 is not going to be full of great win opportunities. It's pretty much Arizona. And that's yeah. about it. Um, so yeah, I, I watched, I watched USC season opener it's like this is an awesome team. They turn around, they lose to UC Irvine, and it's been kind of that that topsy turvy roller coaster ever since because they do have a great backcourt. Um, you know that that was kind of what everyone is talking about. Like regardless of, of how you feel about Bronny, he's a pretty good basketball player, but um, everyone's like he he's not going to be able to start because you have Boogie Ellis, who's been very very productive already in college. You have the number one recruits who it's not the world's best high school class, but he is worthy of, of respect. He He's going to come in and, and produce right away. And he has, but yeah, like Andy Anfield is trying to speed run getting fired this season. Uh, this is like, he has had some really talented teams that have underachieved. This is not his most talented team, but it's probably up there um, yeah. in, in terms of at, at least what you can get from the perimeter. You've, You've got Rodman's kid on there too, which is just a fun wrinkle. But yeah, they they look pretty bad, and there is uh, there's not really much that can go uh, the other direction unless like if Bronny can can sort of get off of a minutes restriction and and contribute and, and play you know twenty twenty five minutes a night, maybe that helps a little bit, but. I, I think the problems definitely go much deeper than that. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that with most Andy Enfield teams, there is that one star recruit or star player that you look at, but then there is that that counterpart that comes out of nowhere and really develops and becomes that lottery pick that no one really was talking about, and then all of a sudden it happens. They don't have that, especially in the post. They really don't have a ton of... Uh, of depth or even a ton to talk about down there. And so it's really just let those two guards play and hope to God that they can outscore the other team. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's, that's what they've had too. They, you know, the Mobley's um, Rakosovic for, for such a long time there, there's at least always been that. And, and yeah, that's, that's definitely not there. 
Yeah. Um, Baylor, woof. Mm-hmm. That uh, I I was at the point where we were. I was good, you know, more or less writing off Michigan State's. Um, this is as good as it's going to get. Um, you know, they they had opportunities against Duke, Arizona. Didn't rise to the occasion there. Um, so this was kind of an afterthought. And to their credit, that is how Baylor treated it. Um, they were yeah. they were boat raced from the very start. Um, it was 45-17 at halftime and just completely lost offensively for what is normally such a good offensive team. 21 turnovers, 6 of 19 from 3 for what is usually one of the best shooting teams in the country. Struggled to get anyone on... Uh, Baylor above double digits in the scoring departments. Um, Scott Drew tried to kind of frame it as best he could post game. You know, this is the Michigan State we expected. This is the Michigan State we'll see the rest of the year. Very presumptuous that this Michigan State is going to show up for the rest of the year. It's possible, but this is one game against a larger sample size. This was more to me about just. Baylor completely not being ready to play and, you know, suffering the consequences. They aren't, they, they are a good team. They are not that good where they can just try to coast like this. Yeah. I think I agree with that completely. I, I, I mean, I think it's plain and simple of Baylor wasn't ready to play, like you said, but Michigan State just made shots. They shot 60% from the field. Like you're not going to lose many games shooting 60% from the field. Uh, Again, their their problems still are there. They aren't that great on the glass. Their forwards really don't provide a ton for them, and they turn the ball over like crazy. They still had 15 turnovers in this game. It's just that Baylor had 21. And I, th- this was maybe the most predictable Michigan State win of all time just because they were left for dead down in the dumps. Baylor looks so good, especially on the offensive end. And then all of a sudden they just don't have it for a game and Michigan state does. And, uh, you know, Walker goes for 25 and Hogard has 14 and they they're getting from everyone seemingly, but I would like to see this from Michigan state, maybe two or three more times before I, I start to think that this is the, the preseason top five team that we saw before, you know, Indiana state would be a good win if they can, they can take care of business because like we talked about, this is a solid Sycamores team. And then you've got State Northwestern, which should be two very winnable Big Ten games uh, coming up, and they need them, no doubt about it, because they are zero two in the league. Yeah, and, and they they need it right now, but because it doesn't get easier going to Illinois. So uh, if if they can get through this next stretch of five games at four and one, then I'd start to believe that the Michigan State is back, or that the preseason Michigan State team that everyone talked about is is coming back but until that point i think it's just one game where they got hot at a air quote neutral site yeah i if if michigan state was truly this team i think they would have shown it a lot more but there is something to be said about better shot selection um you know kind of knowing what you can do what you can't um only taking 12 threes hitting eight of them is kind of a, a better better strategy when you are not a good three-point shooting team. You just can't keep chucking and, and hope things change. And, hey, 
Xavier Booker, seven points, eight minutes. Get get my guy some more minutes. Um, he uh, he hit a three as well. Not necessarily something you can expect every game, but I, I think it's more than fair to suggest, as we have, to give him a little bit more run, see what he can do. Um, but yeah, it, it was it was very refreshing from Michigan State perspective to see kind of more more help out of the backcourt uh, for Walker for sure. Yeah, um, but. Again, just disaster for Baylor. Good news, it's only one loss, but it was a, a very loud one. Tough way to get your first loss. Yeah, that, that is for sure. Who else do you have as a loser? I do not mean to keep playing on the city of Los Angeles, but I'm going to head back there. UCLA. Um, look, their losses overall aren't actually bad. They're five and four on the year. Their losses are Marquette by two, Gonzaga by four, uh, Villanova by nine, and then most recently, Ohio State by seven. All of those are fine, just looking at them. There's nothing, you know, maybe you would like to have beaten Ohio State or Villanova because they're not, they're just not the teams that maybe we expected or, or they usually are. The biggest problem is the offense stinks. This team cannot score the ball. They average 68 points a game, which is good enough for 339th in the country. Uh, They don't pass the ball very well overall, and they are 122nd in adjusted offensive efficiency for Ken Palm. That is drastically weighing down their top 20 defense, which, again, it's a Mick Cronin team. You expect to see that, but offensively, this team leaves so much to be desired. They really have two guys that can shoot the ball and then everything else is on the interior Uh, and outside of their top four you really don't know where you're going to get any scoring from they're shooting 30 percent from three Uh, they they almost at a one-to-one assist to turnover ratio Uh, offensively it's just a mess and they really need someone to step up and take the reins right now Sebastian Mack is the guy uh, the freshman from Chicago but at this point like he needs help he he is showing those freshman warts that, that we see time and time again. Uh, and until, you know, the, he played well against Ohio State, but until he can consistently play at a level where, one, he's taking and making good shots, and two, he's not turning the ball over, uh, this is going to be a problem for UCLA. Yeah, and I mean, Morrow is a guy that I, I kind of expected to come in right away and have more of an impact than he has uh, coming over from – Europe being one of the highly touted uh, international prospects, but he's been coming along very slowly. And I don't know if that was part of uh, Mick Cronin's plan either, but you know, it would, uh, it would certainly help their offense a lot if he was kind of as advertised uh, instant impact. But yeah, I mean, this, this is the PAC 12 this year. Um, UCLA was, was definitely going to take a step back this year. um, But yeah, the offensive struggles are more, Cincinnati than UCLA like Mm -hmm. this this is part of what was so hard to wrap our heads around with uh Mick Cronin coming here it just right it doesn't feel right and uh like this this type of play from UCLA um but yeah I mean there's there's not much you can really uh be too disappointed about in terms of the teams they've lost to, as you said, depending on how you feel about Ohio state, but at the same time, not really beating anybody um, that, that moves the needle at all. So right again, PAC 12 
looking pretty dire in terms of uh, tournament hopes. It's it's pretty much it's Arizona, it's Colorado, and then it's a lot of question marks. Mm-hmm. But yeah, shout out Mick Cronin. He will <laughs> like UCLA Arizona State this year should be fun because. Both yeah. of those coaches are probably going to absolutely hate their teams by that point, and it will it will be fun for us to to see all the screaming. Yeah. Um, I think that was it for me, actually. So I'm forgetting anybody. No, only I team was... I've got is the uh, the shout out for Creighton with their double digit loss to UNLV, who is not good. Yes, I, uh, you know, there, there is a blind spot in the Creighton program and it is the Mountain West. Um, yes, it happens. But at the same time, um, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that was the season debut of Keelan Boone, um, who, who did give UNLV a, a little, a little different, uh, physicality inside the, uh, the Boone brothers, but not excusing the loss. Colorado State, that's a fine loss. Uh, UNLV, yeah. even with all of the Boons and Thomas, um, there is talent on the roster. But, yeah, Creighton just kind of no-show. Just to, to not shoot the ball the way they normally can. Um, and it's a little concerning because that that kind of happened in the Colorado State game too. Um, just kind of a, a departure from – what we've come to expect from Creighton teams in general and certainly what this roster as assembled is capable of. Um, so not really reinventing the wheel here, um, telling you anything you don't know, but if you can force Creighton to miss shots and not hit a million threes, you'll be successful. A couple of teams have figured out how to do it. Um, but yeah, that uh, that was not a great loss. That, that was not a game where, where Creighton really looked like they were ever going to truly make a run to, to challenge the rebels. And that's probably the, the most concerning part of it. Yeah. I, there, there's a lot that's concerning. I think uh, that in general, their, their inability to beat the mountain West, which again, Colorado state's very good. So I, I, I have no problem with that. I think this game is a one-off as well. They're going to shoot 75% on 33s against Seton hall. So have no fear about that. But it's just looking at UNLV, they have losses to Southern. They've lost to a bad Florida State team. They've lost to a bad Richmond team. They've lost to Loyola Marymount. And now they've lost to St. Mary's in a very tight game. And St. Mary's is just not even close to what anyone anticipated they would be. Uh, They hadn't beaten anyone, really. And then all of a sudden, they go out and beat top 10 Creighton in a game that they led by as many as 17. So uh, that is the concern if you're a Creighton fan that they just so vastly underpaid their, their abilities. Like the, the floor is low now for this Creighton team, but the ceiling is final four. Yeah. The UNLV is not a good defensive team. So if anything, like that's not yeah. the type of team you should struggle against. Exactly. Cool. All right. Uh, we will, we will leave it there. Lots to, uh, to chew on for Blue Jay fans out there. Um, this will be our, our last show before the holiday. So wish you and yours a, a Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening to us all year. We will be back after Christmas uh, and 
talk about basketball and then maybe even take a peek at the college football playoff, uh, which is coming shortly thereafter. So yeah, something else to look forward to when we return and uh, we will see you then.